going to probably just in sharing the word, I'll end up probably sharing a little bit of my life so you can get to know me. Because I know sometimes it's actually really hard. When you're meeting someone for the first time, you probably spend the first five to ten minutes just trying to figure out like their MO and who they are and if you like their personality or not. <laughs> you know, people kind of size each, other's up, each other up that way. And so it's kind of hard because when you're meeting someone for the first time, you're actually trying to like just figure it all out and gather your senses and all of those things. And so sometimes it's nice to give a little introduction of kind of like this is who I am and this is what I do. But I think that from sharing the word that there'll be enough testimony that you'll you know really know my heart. Um, so I'd actually rather just go right to the book of Acts. Um, I am going to teach on prayer today, but I'm going to teach on prayer from a little bit of a different context. Um, from the context of understanding biblically that when prayer is discussed and when prayer is addressed and even the very precedence the first time that Jesus taught on prayer, it was from the understanding of the place of struggle. And, you know, oftentimes, in, in especially because I, I work a lot with missions organizations that are working with unreached people groups. And so Christianity here is very different than what the rest of the world is experiencing. And the gospel, our lens, because, you know, we all wear lenses. We all kind of have a, a pair of glasses <laughs> on that we're viewing the world through. Some of those lenses, some of us really do have a lens of optimism. You know, for me, everything is right down the road, takes five minutes, and I'm going to get it done quick. Even if it's a five-hour project and it's going to take me six hours to drive there, my language is always, it's easy, I can do it, I'm going to get it done. And my husband is there in my life to give me reality checks of going, Bethany, that to-do list, you can't even accomplish that in a month, forget a day. <laughs> so we all have lenses, right? But oftentimes in our American culture, the, the view that we're even viewing the, the gospel, the, the lens that we're viewing the gospel through is from one where we actually despise the place of suffering. We despise weakness. And we've almost made it our life's ambition to go to any measure to avoid that. that that's almost like our high calling is to avoid difficulty, avoid struggle. And in some ways, we've even come to view the gospel as if I'm really in God's will or if I'm really in obedience, then I won't suffer. But if you even look at the words of Jesus as saying that no servant is greater than his master. And if you look at the life of Jesus on the earth, it was filled with hardship. It was filled with persecution and tribulation and so I'm not in here in any way to say that we shouldn't believe for all of the blessing and all of the provision and all of the, the, the breakthrough that God has for us. I'm absolutely in the place of contending for those things for my family and my city and my nation. But there's also another lens of how do we walk through suffering? How do we walk 
through hardship. Because if all we're doing is standing at a, from a position and even through a lens of despising that and thinking that somehow it's either us or God that's the problem, instead of understanding that we live in a fallen world, and Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good courage. He's, he's identifying, like don't let it catch you off guard, but have your heart prepared and equipped, but he wants us in the midst of it to be victorious. And so that's what we're going to look at today is we're going we're gonna to start by looking in the book of Acts at the New Testament church. Because how many of you guys know with the birthing of the New Testament church, they weren't without trial and difficulty. They had the most out, outstanding historical outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Cities being touched and saved. How many of us have seen 3,000 saved in a day? <laughs> how many of us have seen 5,000 added in a day? How many of us, can it be said of us that literally fear came upon all of those in this city because of the authority and the weight of God's presence? That was Book of Acts, but Book of Acts was not without trial and difficulty and imprisonment and persecution. And so we have to embrace an understanding of it's not one or the other, but becoming victorious in the midst of the struggles of this life. It's that inward understanding and that inward reality. But do you want to know if you look at the book of Acts? It's because they lived in a culture of prayer. Prayer wasn't a meeting that they went to, and you should get your butt in the prayer meeting. <laughs> prayer wasn't just a meeting that they went to, but it was the very ebb and flow of their life. It was the very culture of their existence. And so let's look, let's turn to Acts chapter 1 really quickly here. I'm going to do very quickly, I'm going to give us like an overview of the book of Acts, so don't get scared. Don't think I'm going to go verse by verse. They're all like, oh boy, I didn't pack a snack. Uh, <laughs> she goes, book of Acts in a day. No. <laughs> I'm going to give you a broad sweeping <laughs> overview here of the book of Acts. But we find in Acts chapter 1, this is the story that we all know, that they were gathered together in one place. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, let's start there. But then you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you jump down to verse 12, we find, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had all entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Atheus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. So we find that they're all in one accord in prayer, making supplication. They're there together in this place, and they're gathered together in a house. They're gathered together in smallness, in insignificance. <laughs> it didn't look mighty. It didn't look strong. 
In all honesty, they were probably very disillusioned with what had just taken place. Their Messiah, who they thought had come to bring salvation, had just been crucified, had just basically, they felt abandoned. There was a place of going, what's next? And here they are together, gathered in the upper room. And we find as they're gathered together, if you jump to chapter 2, verse 2, Actually, we'll start in verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came the sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here is where we actually find the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was prophesied in the book of Joel. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes. And what happens from this place? You guys know this very well. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. We find that Ben Peter preaches. So the Holy Spirit comes. It empowers the preaching of the gospel. Peter goes and he preaches. And what happens when Peter preaches? And I just want to highlight, you should take a look at what Peter preaches. You should really look at what Peter preaches. He literally lays the charge of crucifying the Messiah upon them. (laughs) And he preaches who Jesus is. Not not too seeker sensitive, is it? (laughs) He literally charges them with this is what you've done and this is who he is. Great conviction sweeps the crowd. 3,000 are added in one day. We all know this story well, but I want us to look at something. What actually happens right after this? So Peter preaches, his message ends in like verse 40. So you should be in Acts chapter 40. And then what do we find? He actually ends it. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2 verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received this word were baptized. And that day there were 3,000 souls that were added to them. So I just want you to pause there. 3,000 souls are added. So oftentimes we know the reality of praying for something or praying into something until the breakthrough comes, right? How many of us have done 40 days fasts? We go hard. We go after Jesus. And then it's almost like once we're done with that, we go back to business as usual, life as usual, and our gluttony self, right? We fast media for 40 days, thinking, I'm going to get a hold of God. I'm going to seek the face of God. After that 40 days, we go back to business as usual. How many of you guys have prayed for something to take place or even prayed in an anticipation for something? You go hard after it. God answers prayer. And there's a part where you're kind of like, well, that's job's done. I'm good. I'm done. What do we find? 3,000 are added in a day. And mind you, I've been in ministry a long time. I was about 16. So I'm like 20 years in ministry that I've been serving in ministry, and I've watched it. I've watched men and women of God who go after heights, who seek for a miracle anointing. They're going to fast and they're going to pray because they want to see signs and wonders and miracles and those things. Once they reach that place, there's almost like a place of ease that comes upon them. Well, I got what I was praying for. And then they become lax. Then they become lazy. What do we actually find? 3,000 are added in one day. And immediately after that, what does it say? 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in 
prayers. What do we find? Because we're going to find the rhythm in the book of Acts. They reached the mountaintop, but even in the mountaintop experience of breakthrough and victory and being in a place of fulfillment, how many of us, when we feel like we've come to a place of fulfillment, that's the place where we're like, oh, I'm good. I got what I needed. I got what I, some, some of us know what it is to pray and to seek God in the place of need, but what's our heart's response once the need is fulfilled? What's our heart's response when the breakthrough has come? Are we found then continuingly steadfast in the place of prayer? Because it's the rhythm of our life. It's not that it's unto something. It is unto someone. And that's what they had vision for. So 3,000 are added in a day. And they don't go on vacation and go, well, we prayed and we fast. We saw the breakthrough. Now I deserve a nice big ice cream sundae. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about it because I know it. I've been in the prayer, prayer movement long enough to know those rhythms of what it is to press hard. And then somehow, you know what actually happens is when there's a heart response of like letting go and losing focus, you, you end up almost going further back than where you were before. But what do we find? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And then what do we find in verse 43? Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So it didn't stop with the 3,000. They didn't meet, reach their mountaintop experience and stop, but then they continued steadfastly. Signs, wonders, and miracles were released, and they were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among, amongst them all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. What were they doing in the temple? They were praying in the temple. <laughs> this is the rhythm of the book of Acts. And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's go on. We find chapter 3, you find Peter and John on their way to the temple to pray. And this is where we find the story of the, the gentleman that asked for money. They said, silver and gold have I none. Guess they weren't too rich. But this that I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. In the American church, we've become so accustomed to the seeking of riches that somehow that's become our measure of success and the blessing of God. But if, what if we sought just as diligently, just as steadfastly to be in one accord with the Father and to see that kind of authority where his kingdom can be manifest through our lives? So we find chapter three, we find the healing that continues. Chapter four, what do we find? All these great glorious things, glory is in their midst. And then we find chapter four, the first persecution takes place, right? That's so opposite the way that we think as Americans. Somehow we think that if God is on it, it's all going to go well. 
And we have like this really weird broken wiring that if it starts to go on, we're like, well, God must, God must be angry. <laughs> God, we must be out of the will of God. No, how about sometimes when you're in the will of God, there's persecution that comes to try to get you to stop doing the will of God. So we find in chapter four, the first persecution that takes place. And out of that, what do we find? However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So what do we find? Peter addresses the Sanhedrin. And what do we find here? He basically, he, well, I'm not going to get, because we don't have time today, but he addresses the Sanhedrin. And if you jump down to verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. If you skip ahead to verse 23 of the same chapter, um, this is actually where I want to focus. So basically, here they are. They're persecuted. And what is their response? Verse 23. And being let go, because they were questioned, right? They let them go. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, what did they do? They raised their voices to God with one accord. And there begins their prayer. They start praying again. So they see 3,000 souls added. They're on the mountaintop experience. And what do they do? They go back to the place of prayer consistently. They're persecuted and they're questioned and they're threatened and they're told not to preach the word. And instead of going into apathy and self-pity and somehow God's not endorsing me, somehow God's forsaken me, God, where are you? Why don't you vindicate? They go back to their companions and what do they do? They lift up their voice in praise. And then we find their prayer. They begin to make supplication, verse 29. Now the Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place that they were assembled together was shaken. So we find another outpouring that takes place. It was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. What do we see here? We see they're persecuted, but it doesn't cause them to shrink back. It doesn't cause them to give way to timidity and fear. It doesn't cause them now to back away. But what do we find? They come out with greater boldness because they went to the place of prayer. We find that they're persecuted, and instead of focusing on the problem, they begin to focus on the man Christ Jesus. And in that place, they cannot be overcome. But there's another outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. What would have happened if that group of people were like the American Christians of today? What would have happened? I highly doubt they would have gathered together, began praising and lifting their voices to God. And another outpouring comes. But instead, they, they had seen the life of Jesus, didn't they? They saw that it was one filled with hardship and difficulty, but yet he continually drew away to be with the Father. 
that although he was the son of God with all authority in heaven and on earth, he still made prayer the priority of his life. It was the rhythm of his life. That whether the multitudes were being healed and saved or whether they were coming after to stone him, he never left the place of prayer. What if the greatest constitution of our life was to be devoted to the place of prayer? What would our life begin to look like? What would our spiritual health begin to look like? What would our family begin to look like? What would our church begin to look like if we said the one goal, the one aim of my life is I am vehemently devoted to the place of prayer. I'm not devoted to my Xbox. I'm not devoted to NFL. I'm not devoted to this band or this actress or all of those things that we give time and attention and devotion to. But instead, I'm vehemently devoted to the place of prayer. Always returning. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did last week. Guess what? All he wants you to do is present yourself before him. Most of us are so busy looking at our life thinking, well, when I get over this addiction, when I get over this problem, when I stop cussing, when I stop, then my prayer life is going to explode. No, 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 no. Get your face in the face of Jesus. And I can guarantee all of those little things are just going to fall to the wayside. It might take a month. It might take six months. It might take a year. But you know what the word of God says? It says, present yourself before me. That means with all of your mess, with all of your discouragement, with all of the hardship, with all of the suffering, just present it. Just give it. Just stand before him and say, here I am in my mess, in my discouragement. Okay, you guys have to understand, there's places of disillusionment. You have to know, Peter, that there's places of kind of going, this isn't how I thought it was going to go. I thought the Messiah was coming, he was crucified. You know, there's that inward turmoil. How many of us can identify? I don't care what your outward circumstances are today. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how much you have. I don't care how much, little you have. Every single person on the face of the earth has that place of inward turmoil. There's a place of brokenness. There's a place of agony. You know, I'll be very honest with you. With us and our family right now, we're, we have for, we're going on three years now of fighting an illness with our son. It's painful as a mother. It is the most painful thing to not go doctor after doctor, thousands and thousands of dollars, thinking that you have answers and solutions. And yes, I am praying. I'm praying. I'm rebuking the devil over that kid's life. But I can tell you the place of being heartbroken. It's very, very easy to stand and start to accuse God. I don't understand, God. I don't understand. But you know what I want to say to you about that? Is regardless of your inner turmoil, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's your personal sin that's causing you turmoil. I don't care if it's somebody else's sin causing you turmoil. I'm going to say something. We pray for breakthrough to come, but you want to know one thing? I pray over my son, and I've had mothers come to me wherever I travel and preach and just say, How? I've had mothers say, I've stopped praying. I've stopped worshiping because of my, son's, my child's illness. How do you keep going? You know what I say to them all the time? The illness is not my focus. My focus is, God, use it as an occasion to show yourself to my son. You want to know something? 
The word of God promises that he will turn all things around together for our good. I don't think God did it to my son. I don't think God is the source of that sickness. I don't think God desires that. But you know what I do know? I know that through it, my son can see Christ revealed in a way that he never would have before. And so I'm saying, use it as an occasion. And this is what we have to start to do. Regardless of your circumstance, begin to look and say, God, where are you? Show yourself in this. Show yourself to me. Let me see you in the midst of this. Let me know you in the midst of this. And you know what happens? That trial and that hardship, it loses its sting. It's still there. It's still painful, but the sting of it is gone because you know what? We're not giving it the praise and the adoration and the attention. It no longer has the power to rob us. Instead, we're in a place of saying, God, I'm looking for you in the midst of this. And it becomes an occasion to know him more fully and for his power to be made manifest. So we find this is their rhythm. They're persecuted, first persecution, And there they go, returning to the place of prayer. I love it. So then they pray, and it says that they spoke the word of God with great boldness. So Acts 4, 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon all of them. So we find the outpouring. If you skip ahead, I'm gonna, I just want to show you two more, like, just, I mean, there's a lot in the book of Acts, but I want you to see this rhythm of the place of prayer. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, is actually where we find um, the first missionary journey taking place. Acts chapter 12. I love this so much. Acts chapter 12. This is the fifth persecution. Okay. <laughs> It's still continuing, isn't it? Their persecution. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. (laughs) So we find that they're being martyred. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the day of the unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison. And delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Here we go, verse 5. You guys there? Everybody see this? Peter was therefore kept in prison, but, go ahead and say but. But, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Do you know what the word constant means? It means unceasing. Do we even have a concept of unceasing prayer? How many of you guys know I work with missionaries that are overseas, and many of them are in very life-threatening situations? Some of them are in Istanbul and Turkey in the midst of all that's taking place there. Other ones are in Africa. We'll get messages from everything from people in the back of, you know, Trunks of cars trying to escape over borders because of, you know, fire and and, and basically Christians being shot. In the midst of that, I always think about it when they're sending a text for prayer. And when I'm sending it out to our Christian communities, I'm like, I don't think you really want the American church praying. 
What do we do in the midst of our life? We just like wing one up. Bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Peter's brought into captivity. <laughs> and it says unceasing prayer. They continued in unceasing prayer. And you know how it was unceasing? Because when Peter's released supernaturally, it's a supernatural release. The angel of the Lord comes and he's delivered. What do we find? That when they had passed the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that led them to the city, which open, opened to them on its own accord. The gate just opens, supernaturally opens, because there's a church that is constantly praying. And it releases the supernatural. The dude is delivered from prison. Most of us would sit back, oh, the Lord, if it's the Lord's will. If it's the Lord's will. What? What does that mean if it's the Lord's will? We kind of live in this, this passive mentality of kind of like, well, if God wants him free from prison, he'll do it with or without me. Well, what do, what do we find here in the book of Acts? We actually find that it's in partnership with the praying church. And how do you know this? Because the dude, the gate opens for him. They went out and they went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent this angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the Jewish people. You guys are going to find this. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. There they are praying again. <laughs> I mean, are you getting a vision of the early church in the book of Acts? <laughs> Nothing can stop them from praying. They just keep going back to the place of prayer. How many of us, we join the prayer meeting when it's a good day? We join the prayer meeting when our emotions are up and we've gone two to three days without sinning. We've gone to the prayer meeting when we're feeling good about ourselves and we're in faith. Instead of basically saying, regardless of how I feel, regardless of my circumstance, regardless of what's going on around me or even how I feel internally, I'm going to the place of prayer. That is my commitment. That is my resolve. And how many of you guys know, prayer changes things out there. We're going to look at that in Daniel chapter 10. But you know what I'm going to say to you? Prayer changes things inside of you. Because what is prayer? Prayer is basically, you, it's an exchange between heaven and earth. It's you positioning yourself, giving time and attention of saying, speak to me. I'm listening. I'm opening your word and I'm going to pray your word back to you. And you know what that does? It begins to change your emotional makeup. I'm dealing with so many young people that between antidepressants and anti-anxiety and even women like me with young children that have never been on medication but are now with small children saying, I can't cope, I can't do it. And more and more and more and more and more and more people being medicated. I am not knocking medication, but what I will say to you is get your heart, get your soul in the place of prayer. Stay on your medication and watch as something changes on the inside. That might be something emotional, but that also might be something chemical. Those chemicals begin to align themselves in the presence of God because it's in his presence that there is healing. All things come into order and come into alignment in his presence. 
If you need order and alignment in your marriage, don't look at your spouse for what they're going to change. Get yourself in the place of prayer. Get your eyes on Jesus and off of the other person. And you watch something, he's going to change you. (laughs) Even if the circumstance never changes, he's going to change you. He's going to make you victorious in the midst of hardship. He's going to make it so that regardless of what's happening around you, that you're walking and living on, in breakthrough on the inside. See, that's the key. Most of us, our American culture is so focused on what we see, right? <laughs> All the appearances, how it looks. I mean, you just turn on your TV. Everything's extreme home makeover. You know, like everything's all like curb appeal. We can look. And mind you, I I like to decorate. (laughs) I like a nice house. I I like home decor. I'm into it. But the problem is, is as a people, we, we forget about the inward place. That we don't need to be so concerned about putting in all of our hours to make our home and our life and our yard and all of the appearances look good. Well, inwardly, our soul is perishing. How many of us are tending all of the outward things so that they're beautiful and flourishing, but yet inwardly we're starving our spirit man? That should be the place that we're most concerned about, is the place of cultivating a heart before him, and that happens in the place of prayer. So what do we find? What do you get from the book of Acts? You understand it's their rhythm. It's the rhythm of their life. They don't depart from the place of prayer. It's their response to success, and it's their response to defeat. (laughs) It's their response in breakthrough, and it's their response in hardship. It's the continual response because their life is centered around the place of prayer. I'm going to just give you guys two parables very quickly. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 11. How many of you guys know in Luke chapter 11 is actually where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray. So mind you, if they're asking Jesus, teach us how to pray, we should definitely pay attention to Jesus' instruction on prayer, right? How many of you guys know, here's the disciples, they're walking with Jesus, they can ask him anything. They can ask him, how do I get free from sin? They can ask him, Teach me how to heal the sick. Teach me your secrets. But instead they say, teach us how to pray. Why do they ask him to teach him how to pray? Number one, they saw the rhythm of prayer in his own life. But number two, I'm going to say this to you. Prayer is the key. If you're struggling with issues of holiness, just get in the place of prayer. No, honestly, I, I'm all for self-discipline, try to, you know, ha- control habits, all of that. But there's some people that have an emotional vice. Some people, it's just straight up demonic activity. <laughs> but you want to know something? Those things in our lives, if we'll just be in the place of prayer, it's going to change. Our heart is going to change. Our perspective is going to change. If you get into the place of prayer, your desires are going to change. Your very emotional makeup is going to change. That's why in John chapter 15, when he talks about I and you and you and me, anything you ask, anything you ask in my name, it will be done for you. Why is that? Because we're in one accord. You know what it is? It's because whatever we ask is actually his will and his desire because we've come into union with him. 
So we're not just asking amiss and asking afar off. It's because our heart is coming to one accord. I'm telling you, get into the place of prayer and your very emotional and spiritual appetites are going to change. Position yourself there and it will transform you. So Luke chapter 11. They come and they say, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. They find Jesus praying. And when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, I'm going to go over this quickly. This, you can unpack this for a whole day. I'm actually trying to get to the parable after it. <laughs> when you pray, our Father in heaven. How do you like this? He's saying, number one, focus on the Father in heaven. Get your eyes off of yourself, off of your circumstance, off of your pastor, off of your spouse, off of everything else that you think is, is the problem. Get your eyes on the Father. And I'm just going to highlight that point there. He's a good Father. He's, he, he addresses him as Father. Our Father, who art in heaven. Because you know what? When you have a revelation of him as Father, it's going to change everything about your prayer life. Because he's a father who hears and is attentive and he cares about the very details. He's a father that loves. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. If we get a vision of the holiness of God, it'll turn our life upside down. He's holy. He's holy. If we just meditate that he is holy. It'll change the complete environment of your household. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of fighting, in the midst of children whining, he's holy. Give us a vision of your holiness. That'll change us forever. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is where he begins to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Talk about getting a vision of what's happening in heaven and what is the kingdom of heaven. And that is what he's intended to establish in the earthen realm. And who does he establish that through? Through us. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. We should never, ever, in the place of prayer, move past or hastily beyond the place of repentance of sins. For as we forgive everyone who is indebted us, the place of forgiving others is the key sometimes to break through for ourselves. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And what does Jesus go on to say? I want you to pay close attention to this. He gives them a model for when you come to the place of prayer, and I, I would encourage you, if you're struggling in your prayer life, don't go for like an hour. Like, don't be like, oh, i got to pray every morning. Start with just five minutes in the morning. Just start small. Just start somewhere. Five, just five minutes. Just start there. I guarantee after those five minutes, it, it, as, you're, as you do that faithfully, your heart is going to long and desire more. Instead of you being like, oh, I can't do this, it's going to be a, oh, I need more time. You're going to find yourself lingering 30. You're going to find yourself lingering an hour. But start with it. If you're saying, I don't know what to pray, and I don't know how to pray. You open up Luke 11 and just begin to read the Our Father. Not read through it fast. Find them in the words. Most of us, our prayer life is suffering because we don't know how to find him in the words. And what does that mean? We just don't go through reading scripture. 
We say, God, reveal yourself to me through this phrase. Let me, how many of us are encountering him through the word? That's really what it's intended to do, not just to read and study, and I read all of Romans, but in those words, encountering him and coming to know him more fully. So here's, here's Jesus' first teaching on prayer, and this is what he has to say. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me, for the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise to give it to you. Okay, we're just going to pause right here and make sure we all understand what's happening in this parable. The guy that's going at midnight to knock on the door, he doesn't need bread for himself. He's not in need of bread. Someone came to him and said, I need bread. <laughs> and he realized, I don't have bread. And what did he do? He got up from his bed. He got up from his comfort. He got up from the warmth of his house. And he went to a friend's house basically saying, someone came to me. They needed bread. I don't got it. Now I'm coming to you. And it specifies that the door is locked and he's in bed with his children. That basically means this is completely inconvenient. Not convenient at all. And he's literally saying, I don't have bread to give. You know what I'm going to say to you first and foremost? That is the position of the church. We have a world that needs bread. And we don't have bread to give. There's only one place to get that bread. <laughs> and it's by going and knocking on the door of heaven. And mind you, this parable in and of itself, it's saying at midnight. Do you know what that means? It means it's at an inconvenient time. It doesn't happen on your timetable. It speaks to that place of apathy. It speaks to that place. How many times in the word of God does it, it, are we instructed to watch and stay awake? Because it speaks to spiritual slumber of those that are asleep. How many of us, I know even for myself, there's seasons in my life that I begin to say, I am spiritually asleep. Like my senses, my awareness, my spirit, I am not alive and I am not active. How do you know? Ha, how do you know that you're awake? Because you're hungry. Anybody that's alive has appetite and hunger. You need food to feed you. If you're in a place that you're not hungry for him, it's because you're not awake and you need to wake up. And that's precisely what happened is at midnight, he gets a knock saying, I need bread. And you know what he could have said? Go away. I am sleeping. Go away. It is uncomfortable for me. Go away. I don't want to be inconvenienced. How many of us, our lives revolve around the issue of convenience? If it's convenient for me. M many of us, the issue of convenience is an issue of idolatry. Because we have made the issue of convenience an idol and something that we serve. It goes back to that, what I started with as far as that issue of suffering, that we despise it. If suffering is involved, then I want no part of it. I'm doing everything in my power to avoid it. But what do we find? He gets up at midnight and he goes and he knocks on the door of the house. 
So verse 8 says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give, give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. This is what I want to say to you. Why is Jesus teaching the Our Father and then immediately going into a parable on persistence? He's equipping their heart, saying, if you're going to set your heart on the journey to pray, if you're going to become a person of prayer, you have to be equipped with this understanding. It's the fundamental, foundational understanding of perseverance. He's saying that when you knock and you don't get the answer, don't stop knocking. He's saying it's a spiritual principle that if you don't understand it, you'll stop praying. He's saying don't despise the place of delay. He's saying be equipped in your heart that it takes perseverance. Perseverance usually is not something that we like or we value or we seek after. But he is saying this is the fundamental understanding. Equip your heart with the reality and the understanding of perseverance. How many of us, we pray one time, it doesn't happen. Okay, God's not, God's not in that. Come on, the issue of delay is huge when you look in the word of God. When you look at men and women of God. See, we're really good at looking at people's mountaintop experiences all the heroes, <laughs> all the great things, all the extraordinary supernatural breakthrough. You know, we, we live there going, I want that. Well, start looking at their journey and start looking how, how long it took. You know, oftentimes we look at Daniel in the Bible and we think of him as that young, you know, ready, handsome, whatever, Daniel. We forget the dude was like 85 years old. When he's praying and he's laying hold of the promises of God for the release of his people. That is a long stinking time. How many of you guys read Daniel chapter 10? Daniel sets his heart to pray. The answer does not come. He's praying 21 days. Finally, the angel of the Lord breaks through. What does he say? He says, from the first day you set your face to seek me. I was sent. He kept praying. What if he had stopped? What if he had stopped? You know, if Daniel like, were like most modern American Christians, after a couple of days, we would have started with our accusing of God, that he doesn't love, that he doesn't care, that he doesn't see, that he doesn't answer. We would have went back in our backsliding ways. And when the angel of the Lord broke through, he would have came and found us in a terrible state, wouldn't he? But instead, Daniel continued in the place of prayer for those 21 days. And you know what the, the, the insight in that is? Is that place of warfare was keeping that angel, was restraining that angel. See, there's something taking place in the place of prayer that we cannot understand with our natural mind. Hey, mind you, we're in Cambridge. We all like the mind and the intellect here, don't we? No, we're really smart, really intellectual. We like to break it down and have all kinds of understanding and clarity. But there is something about the place of prayer that the mind of man can never understand. Because it's the realm of the supernatural. 
And that's precisely what you see in the book of Acts. You find that that community is there praying and a supernatural release comes for Peter to get out of prison. You know, if it were us, it would be kind of like, well, how are we going to see the, how, how will we see the breakthrough? Is someone going to drive there? Is someone going to make an appeal? Like, we're trying to work it out, figure it out, wrestle it out, you know, trying to get all the details and trying to work our magic in it somehow. That somehow we're so smart and we're so witty. How are we going to help God accomplish his will? He's actually saying, I don't need your help. All I need you to do is get in the place of prayer and stay there. Mind you, I'm not disregarding works. I'm not disregarding the preaching of the gospel. We find that in the book of Acts. They prayed, then they preached. They prayed, they saw signs and wonders. They prayed, they... I'm not saying that it ends in prayer, but you know what I'm going to say? Is it begins in prayer, it stays in prayer, and then we go back to prayer. (laughs) That's the rhythm that we find in the book of Acts. And when you look at... I, I want you to understand this, and I want you to get this in your heart. That when Jesus is giving his instruction, he gives the Our Father, and then he gives a parable on persistence. There's a reason. If prayer was easy... And if it came without struggle, he would not have wanted to equip their heart that way. It's the primary and the fundamental understanding of the place of prayer is equip your heart to be persistent. Do not misunderstand the ways of God. And you know what happens is we begin to, in the natural, we use our natural thinking. We use all of our carnal understanding to try to interpret what's taking place. Instead of simply saying, God, I don't understand your ways. I, don't, I frankly don't get you sometimes, <laughs> but you know what? I don't have to. Come on. You're going to find that you're able to pray longer distances for years and years and years without relenting, without ceasing, when you let go of the need to understand. Just let go of that. Instead of, I don't understand why, and how come it's taking two years, and I've prayed over my son, and I, all, all of that, I don't have to understand. You are sovereign, and I trust you, and nothing is going to move me from the place of prayer. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Here's another parable that Jesus gives us. We're going to find the same language here. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me and for my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, Yet because of this widow's widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night? Say day and night. Day and night. To him, though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? 
Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's linking faith on the earth. And will he find faith on the earth to the question of day and night prayer? Of will you be found in that constant, unrelenting posture of prayer? Because the issue of will he find faith on the earth is the, the question of will he find a praying people? Because in the place of prayer, faith is cultivated. In the place of prayer, faith is increased. In the place of prayer, your faith grows. And outside of the pr place of prayer, our faith diminishes. But let's just look here at this parable. I know a lot of people get a little hung up, kind of like, unjust judge, but God is just. And it seems like in this principle, in this parable right here, he is solely trying to teach us the principle of prayer from the posture of the widow. From the posture of the hardship, the difficulty, the angst, the pain, the struggle, and what he has called us to do and the position that he has called us to take. So what do we find here? He said, um, verse uh, chapter 18, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So we find in the certain city there was a judge who did not fear God. Um, and then we have the widow as far as that she had an adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God, nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night? The language of cry out literally means with shouts of joy or pain. You know what this really speaks to? I can remember one night I was in a prayer meeting and I actually heard this verse. I could like hear it internally about those that cry out to me day and night. And I realized in the language that he's saying, when you actually study it in the Greek, it is talking about the place of turmoil. Crying out does not sound like a pretty thing. It's not saying those that make supplication or make a petition or those that read through their prayer and fulfill their five-minute devotional, he's actually talking about the place of struggle. He's actually talking about those who cry out to me day and night. He's actually addressing that place of pain. He's actually addressing, and the actual word in the Greek means audible. There's an audible crying out that's taking place. It's something that you can hear. There's something of anguish. There's something of turmoil that's taking place there. And all of the language throughout this parable and the previous parable speaks to that place of there is an understanding of struggle, that we are not without struggle, but it's equipping our hearts of saying, in the place of struggle, continue in prayer. That even when you don't see the answer, continue in prayer. And then what do we find specifically here? He's saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What does that say? That if we don't continue in prayer, he will not find faith. It's saying that if we don't continue in prayer, that we will not be found as people of faith in the earth. But it's the place of partnering with him. It's the place of being in agreement with him. Do you know a lot of prayer, that's what it is? It's us wrestling to come into agreement with God. It's us wrestling to find the will of God, the purpose of God for our heart and our mind and our emotions to come into agreement and come into alignment with him. Most of us despise the place of prayer 
because we're so locked in with our own perceptions and our own desires. We, we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it on our time frame. As opposed to the place of yieldedness. Prayer requires, requires us to continually come to the place of saying, we're at your mercy. That's what we find with the widow here. She was at the mercy of the judge. Completely thrown upon his mercy. And so she lived in that place of staying before him until. I want you to say, until. That has to be the resolve of our life. Until the breakthrough comes. Until we see that take place. Uh, and you know what? That could be in very temporary things that sometimes we're saying until. But you want, I want to know, I want to challenge you. When it, when it closes this parable by saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I want to challenge you to make your until being until the Son of Man comes. I'm praying and I'm seeking. I'm staying in the position and the posture, and I will be, as both of these parables use the language of in perseverance. Perseverance, we've all just got done watching the Olympics. Perseverance, you can see that place of struggle, that there is an end game in mind, and that they will go through any amount of challenge, any amount of pain or sacrifice or discipline to get there. And that is the understanding that when our eyes are upon Jesus, that faith is what we want to be found standing in the place of faith, to be found standing in the place of agreement with him, that we will go through any difficulty and any trial to be found until that day, that we would be found in the place of prayer until the son of man comes that he would find faith on the earth. This issue of prayer and faith is so interconnected. I'm going to say two things to you. Number one, if you're lacking prayer, I mean, if you're lacking faith, cultivate a life of prayer because faith is going to increase. And when we're in that place of lacking faith, oftentimes it's prayer itself that we don't... We, and I'm trying to address it this way, is I understand that oftentimes we stay away from prayer when we, when we don't have faith because we're discouraged. I know what it is to be heart sick. I know what it is to look at certain things and say, I've, I've said all of the, I can say. I've prayed all I know how to pray. I actually just, I texted my husband the other night. I was like, I actually have something new from the word, a new way that I'm going to start praying for our, our son's name is Abraham. And I said, I have it like a new angle. Because I, I felt like I, had, I prayed the same thing. I'm like, it's not moving. But I said to him, I said, I, I, I got something out of this one parable. And I'm going to start addressing it this way. I, I'm going to stand in the place. And hear me, it's not about the verbiage. It's not about the language. I'm not saying God's looking for a formula. But there is something about, for me, in the place of my heart, being renewed in faith. Of going, oh, I'm going to pick this up again. I'm going to pick it up, and I'm going to keep picking it up. You know what I want to say to you is that any area in your life that you feel hopeless over, that's an indication that the enemy, that, that's the enemy. It's a stronghold of the enemy. Because you want to know that regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the difficulty, regardless of what it looks like, when we have the perspective of God, we're filled with hope. Any place that you're lacking possibility today, Instead of looking and going, you know what, God, all things are possible. It's hard, but I'm in faith. Any place that you're lacking, that expectation that God is going to move. 
If that's lacking, it's an indication that it's a stronghold of the enemy that's come to make you hopeless so that you will not continue in the place of prayer. You know what we're going to do? We're just going to pray into some of those things right now. If you're here today and you know that there's a place of hopelessness inside of you, that there's something that you, you do not have faith concerning it. You don't have expectation for breakthrough. We're not actually closing the service. I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet right where you are. And we're going to pray over that circumstance specifically. But we're going to pray over you that you're impregnated with hope today. Hope is a testimony of the Spirit of God. It's a witness of the Spirit of God. He wants us living with hope concerning all circumstances. I don't care if it's an issue that there's been an adulterous affair. I don't care if it's an issue of a child with a disease. I don't care if it's an issue of a job. I don't care if you don't see any way out of it. He wants to fill you with hope concerning it. And it's amazing how it can change in a moment. There was a situation just the other day, and I, I talked to my husband about it, and I, I was looking at it, and obviously praying about it from every angle, but I just thought, I don't, I don't see, I don't see a solution. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, my back is up against the wall, completely up against the wall. And I just kept saying, God, I feel hopeless over this, but I, kn I know you have an answer. I know you have an answer. And you know what's amazing? How within a day's time, God can either uh, change something, align something, provoke someone. God can do anything. And within a day's time, I looked at that same thing and I saw it completely differently. Completely differently. And it, I'm not saying I understand how it's all going to happen, but I, I have hope concerning it. And that's what God desires, is he desires for us to live with the hope and the expectation. So, Father, I ask, Lord, right now for every person under the sound of my voice. Lord, I ask, Lord, any place that the enemy has come to build a stronghold of hopelessness. We even just right now, we expose the strategy of the enemy. We expose that it's the work of the enemy to keep us in, in hopelessness, but ultimately in prayerlessness, to keep us from the place of prayer and expectation. So, Lord, right now together we agree that, that the power and the spirit of hopelessness would be broken in Jesus' name. God, I thank you, Father, that every spirit of doubt, every spirit of despair would be broken in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you, Father, that even now, Lord, that you would fill people, Lord, with supernatural faith. Lord, faith to believe you for the impossible. Lord, right now, we come out of agreement with every lie of the enemy. God, I ask, Lord, at every place that we have either believed the accuser of the brethren or we have believed a lie from the enemy concerning our situation or concerning us or someone else. We come out of agreement with every lying spirit and we come into the truth of what you say what you declare and what you see. God, I ask, Lord, even now in the place of prayer, God, that you would give people eyes to see as you see. I speak eyes of faith in the name of Jesus Christ. No longer to see the mountains, no longer to see the difficulties, but that eyes would be lifted to see you. Our Father who are in heaven. Lord, I thank you even now, Father, that the gaze of your people would be lifted to see you and behold you. 
I'm going to speak over certain lives right now. I'm going to say this to you. God only allows certain difficulties is because he wants you to lift up your eyes and behold him. He wants to show himself in a greater measure. It's for his glory. It's for his honor, but it's even for you. So you can encounter him in a new way. So God, I thank you, Father, our, as even as you're, you're, you instructed us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, I thank you. I speak over every life and every person that's standing that this trial and this difficulty would be used to see you in a whole new way, used to see you in a whole new light. God, I thank you, Father, that eyes would be lifted to see you and behold you, Jesus. God, I thank you, Father, for your season of encounter. Lord, I thank you that your word promises that everything that the enemy has intended for evil, that you will turn around together for good. And so, God, I thank you, Father, that every place where the enemy has released warfare and difficulty and hardship and has even sought to uh, persecute and isolate, Lord, sons and daughters, God, I thank you, Father, that you would be there in the midst of it, using it, Lord, as an occasion to minister your love and your healing. And I thank you, Father, for an anointing for breakthrough in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for the gift of faith, Lord, that your sons and daughters would live in the realm of possibility, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I ask, Lord, even right now, God, that any individual, Lord, even as you instructed us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, God, I thank you, Father, that when we have the confidence of a good father who cares, a good father that sees. God, I, I ask, Lord, even right now, God, that any place that there is a false image or a false understanding of who you are, God, that those lenses would be removed and, God, that we could see you rightly. And, God, I thank you, Father, that that is the place where we can trust you because we see you as loving, we see you as attentive to our needs. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Lord, I just thank you, Father, that in every one of these circumstances, God, that you would show your face. I just want you, even inwardly, just begin to, for those of you that are standing, just begin to ask the Lord, say, God, reveal yourself to me in the midst of this. Reveal yourself to me. Let me see you more fully. Where are you? I'm looking for your goodness. I'm looking for your hand. I'm looking for your activity. God, I just thank you, Father, that these hearts, Lord, would live with expectation the expectation, Lord, of what it is, Lord, you desire to do and how you desire to show yourself, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to have us actually close with one last passage of scripture here in Matthew 17.
In Matthew chapter 17 is actually where we find the disciples coming to Jesus. And they're basically asking him because there was a, a young boy that was epileptic and they prayed and he wasn't healed. And so then they came to Jesus and, um, oh, actually it's the father said, so I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Verse 17 said, then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And here we go. This is Jesus' answer, why they couldn't cast it out. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, have faith as a mustard seed, and you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and by fasting. What does he say? He says, it's because of your unbelief. But he goes on to say, this kind only comes out by prayer and by fasting. And he's saying that the, the issue of unbelief is linked to the place of prayer and fasting. Because you know what? The enemy knows if he can drive us from the place of prayer, we're going to be faithless. But if we continue in the place of prayer, we might have dark nights. I'm not saying, like I said to you, sometimes there's places where I go, I just have no more words. I have no more words. I've prayed it. I've rebuked it. I've cast it out. I've reassigned it. I've <laughs> there's just no more words. But you know what? That's the place where we just present ourselves before him. Whether it's just in tears. And how about even in Romans where it says, with groanings that can't be uttered. Sometimes there are no words, but it's that place that even, even as it says in Luke 18, those that cry out to me day and night, that even if all we have is a cry, that's the thing is sometimes prayer is really messy because it involves that place of inner turmoil and the place where our heart and our mind are coming into agreement with his. But what we see here is he actually says, this kind only comes out by prayer and by fasting. And previously, he assigned it because of their unbelief. So pretty much he was saying, faith would have been cultivated in your heart in the place of prayer and fasting. And this is really what I want to say to us today, is that regardless of how we feel, Regardless of the circumstances of our life, that if we'll make the constitution of our life to the place of prayer. I understand life is busy. And to be honest, when you talk about prayer in our American culture, because we do have such demands for our time, everyone begins to kind of go, oh, my life is really busy. I have school, I have work, I have all these things. I'm going to say something to you. I am a massive advocate for the prayer meeting, and you should be here. But I am going to say something in addition to that. Is how many of you guys have heard of John, um, the Wesley brothers? John, John and Charles Wesley? Um, the Wesley brothers. How many of you guys, I'm sure you guys have all heard the story of their mother, that it was because of the prayers of their mother that they basically would see their mother praying. I recently studied about their mother. You know, you think about that and you think, oh, it's a woman that was in travail and she was up at four in the morning. What a godly woman. It wasn't that at all. 
This woman had a slew of children and a, and a husband that did not provide well. So she lived in just the worst poverty. She lived in hardship. She had children that died. He ran off on her. He was abusive. There was terrible, terrible circumstances that were taking place. And you want to talk about struggle? You want to talk about hardship and difficulty? But you want to know what it was said of her? Is that in the midst of it, that she literally would just put her apron over her head and begin to cry out to God. You know what that says? It says in the midst of your life in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the hardship, that it doesn't all have to stop and it doesn't have to be assigned to an hour in a holy place. Do you want to know this? When we're talking about the place of prayer, for some of us as moms, it doesn't look like ours. Before I, had, before I was a mom and before I was married, I would spend six hours in the prayer room and it was divine, studying Hebrew and Greek. Now I'm lucky if I get six minutes of silence without someone talking to me and someone at me. But you know what I'm going to say to you? For us as moms, you know what that looks like? It looks like sometimes when we're doing the dishes, what is the meditation of our heart? It, it looks like what's coming out of your mouth and speaking over your family. Because sometimes instead of being in the place of nobody picks up their mess and nobody and nobody appreciates me and I, sometimes what you need to start doing is instead just praying out loud over your family. I break the power and the spirit of complaining over this household. We're not going to be people that complain. We're going to be people that rejoice. And now we're just going to pray and thank God for all of the, I mean, you start leading your family in a prayer meeting. For some of you as men, when you're going, I don't have time to pray. I don't have hours in a prayer room. You know what it looks like? It looks like your commute to work. Instead of zoning out on, on some radio station or daffing out on something else, it looks like filling that space with earbuds in worship music. It's called cultivating the inward place of our life. That if you want a prayer, I'm going to say this to you, even if you're not there today, but if you want a prayer life, you will find any vacant moment. You know, God bless my husband. We have a really, really busy life. But I, in the midst of it, I'll see him out there mowing the lawn. He's got his earbuds on. He's listening to a teaching. I'll see him sometimes when he's the one doing the dishes. He's got his little iPad up there scrolling, finding his worship music, and he's filling it all through the house on the Bluetooth. He'll find his pockets in his windows. And it amazes me sometimes. I'll go in to kiss him goodnight with the glow of his iPad, and it's just scripture that he's just reading and meditating over. But you want to know all of us have those choices of the moments of our life. In the moments. And that's what I want to ask you today. In the moments, what are you filling your moments with? Are they with prayer? Because if we can fill our moments with prayer, you're going to end up finding it's a lot easier to get yourself to the prayer meeting midweek. But when you're not filling those moments with prayer, the corporate prayer becomes a struggle because it's not our inward reality. I can remember one day I was whining and complaining. I had to fly out to Colorado and teach for three days. I homeschool and I'm on several boards and missions organizations and I was having my little pity party of going, I have so many responsibilities. I have so much to do. I'm always behind. I can never get ahead. I was having my little pity party and going, and now I have to go train missionaries to go plant prayer rooms and unreached. <laughs> I'm thinking, what a wreck is this? I'm going unprepared. And I was, to be honest with you, I was angry. I was angry. I couldn't find a solution. I know I'm, I need to be homeschooling. I know I need to be all of these things. And I was angry. 
And as I stood there complaining to the Lord, there's two things he convicted to my heart is number one, it's a privilege. Instead of me finding all of the things in my life that are difficult and hard, begin to look for what the privilege is. But number two, you know what he said to me? Worship me in your moments. That's all I'm asking for. And it changes everything. In those, in the moments, in the moments, if you'll cultivate a life of prayer in the moments, it's going to change the overall bent of your heart, in your perspective, in your entire day. And what do we find? Faith is cultivated in that place. Faith is increased. You're going to become unstoppable. Unstoppable. When prayer is guarded and preserved and cultivated and grown in our lives. I just want to say to you today, regardless of what you're called to, you could be called to be a doctor, you could be called to law and medicine or the music industry. I am going to say to you today, if, if you question what the call of God is on your life, or if you even know what the call of God is on your life, I'm going to say, first and foremost, your call is to the place of prayer. It's to cultivating a life in the presence of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Then all of these things, everything will just be added. It's just added when we seek first his kingdom. But I'm going to close out with praying with over one last topic. I know that we touched a lot and we looked at different parables and scriptures. The issue of struggle and the issue of hardship. And I just right now, I want to pray over anyone that you know that you definitely have not rightly assessed or judged. Or I guess, I guess what the word would be interpreted. The struggle and the hardship of life. That instead of it actually becoming a tool and something that we find God in the midst of it, that we've been offended or hurt or disillusioned over it. I just want to pray over anyone that almost you feel as though you, you need a washing and a cleansing and an understanding not to despise that place of struggle. Could you imagine if the, those Wesley brothers, if that mother was living in such a place of like, this father left me, I have all of these children. I mean, the place of complaining and bitterness of looking at her life and circumstance. But it, instead, she was finding moments to pray and to commune with the Father. And those two young children are touched and become revivalists. I don't know how many of you guys have ever studied some of the history of this area. I would encourage you to do it. But if you look at the very founding of the United States and specifically of these New England colonies, you find aboard the Arabella was a very, very small group of people. And two-thirds of them died the first winter because of starvation and disease. You find a group of people that had a dream for the new world. They had a dream, and it, and it was a dream that they felt God had given them. And all of us are here today. We're enjoying all the pleasure and leisure and luxury and convenience of America because a handful of people not only had a vision, but they were willing to walk through tremendous struggle, suffering, and sacrifice to see that vision come to pass. Sometimes we forget about all of the loss and the hardship and the disease. And can you imagine coming aboard the Arabella and you get off here in New England, there's no houses to keep you warm in the winter. There's no food supplies. They literally had like onions 
I think the onions and a couple of potatoes left on their boat. Nothing to get them through the winter. You talk about the place of struggle, the place of hardship. But it was in that place that they, they, they could have turned back and said, we're getting out of here, it's too difficult, we're going back to Europe, forget this. But instead they had a dream and they felt like God called them that Boston in this area would be a city set upon a hill and a light to all nations. They had a vision of the stepping stone for the gospel for the nations of the earth and that they could worship freely here. And do you know that they continued through hardship? They continued through struggle because of the vision that God had birthed in their heart. And there's many of us here in this place that there's vision that God has given us. There's words that he's spoken over us and we've despised the place of struggle. I want to say to you today, do not despise the place of struggle. But just allow it to be a tool that in the place, it would drive us to the place of prayer over and over and over again. That we would not despise anguish. That we would not despise turmoil. First Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to test you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice since you are partakers of Christ's suffering that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. You being reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he, he is evil spoken, but on your part, he is glorified. Yet if any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is no greater than his Lord. And if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. We find that place, he says, think it not strange, the fiery trials that come against you, but be equipped in your heart, just like Jesus said in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 11, the perseverance, that your heart would be girded with perseverance to continue. And instead of despising and almost being caught off guard by difficulty, that we would understand that it's an occasion for him to manifest his glory there's anybody here today that needs prayer, that wants prayer, that has anything specific that you just want someone, I'm sure there's an altar ministry team, but I just want to specifically pray over that point. If you'll just stand to your feet and then, um, do you have an altar ministry team? Do you guys? Yeah. And we'll pray over anybody. If there's anybody here under the sound of my voice that the issue, you almost know that you need to look at suffering and look at pain differently instead of despising it instead of avoiding it, but in, in that place of allowing him to be glorified in it and looking for him in the midst of it. God, I just thank you, Father, that, Lord, these sons and daughters that are here today, Father, 
God, I thank you for those under the sound of my voice. God, that even today, Father, would be a redefining day for them, Lord. That instead of avoiding or even despising the place of hardship and difficulty, Lord, that we would find you in the midst of it, Father. God, I thank you, Father, for every person that's a part of Pentecostal Tabernacle, Father, that truly this church, Lord, would be like that of the book of Acts. God, I thank you, Father, that the rhythm of their life would be that of the place of prayer. God, that in the successes, God, that then they would return to the place of prayer and seeking you and hearing your heart. And even in the place of hardship and difficulty and trial and tribulation, God, that the continual heart response would be one of the place of prayer. God, I thank you, Lord, that we as a people, Lord, that prayer would not be a side activity, Lord, that it would not be something that we do in our spare time or when we feel up to it. But God, I thank you, Lord, that even today, God, that those that have felt the call to the place of prayer, I'm just even going to say to you, if you felt today specifically that God is calling you to the place of prayer, I'm going to encourage you to rearrange some things in your life, to make prayer a priority to begin to develop even different patterns and rhythms in your life. God, I thank you, Lord, that even as you spoke to me, Lord, to worship you in my moments. God, I thank you, Father, that even today, God, that there would be mental and emotional cycles that are broken, Father. God, I ask, Lord, that those that may be addicted to complaining, that those that even may be addicted to fault-finding, God, I thank you, Father, that in that place, your Holy Spirit would convict them. And Lord, that they would begin, Lord, instead of using their mouth to speak the negative or to speak about the hardships, God, that they would begin to declare your word and prophesy over their circumstances. God, I thank you, Father, that you would use their mouth, Lord, to release the purposes of God, Lord, not only in their own lives, but Lord, in their families and Lord, in the the lives of those around them. God, I thank you, Father, that you would use them, Lord, with an anointing, God, to speak Speak and declare the word of God, to speak and declare the will of God. And God, I thank you, Father, that even in the book of Acts, God, that as as we saw, Lord, that they increased with boldness. God, I thank you, Father, that every trial and every tribulation would only be used to increase the activity of the Holy Spirit. It would only be used to increase boldness, Father. Lord, I ask, Lord, even right now, Father, that the power of fear would be broken in Jesus' name. God, I thank you, Father, that every place that fear has paralyzed individuals to keep them locked in a certain place from moving forward. God, that fear would be broken in Jesus' name. And God, I thank you, Father, that even as we've already prayed into faith, God, that faith is the opposite of fear. So God, I thank you, Father, that there would be a place of contending for faith in their lives, faith to be released. God, I thank you, Father, that we as your sons and daughters, that we would not tolerate And we would not partner with fear, but that we would come out of agreement with fear and come into the place of faith, Father. Thank you, Jesus. 